Husker Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco Realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. This episode's guest has been featured in publications like Gentry Home on more than one occasion and recognized for his talents with an award from the American Society of Interior Designers. His career began in graphics and branding at a small design and architecture firm in Atlanta before arriving in San Francisco, where he honed his skills in design and project management for seven years at a global design firm. A decade ago, he launched his own boutique residential design firm. With over two decades of experience and a relentless pursuit for unique concepts, say hello to this episode's guest and my dear friend, Kevin Sawyers of Sawyers Design. Hi, Kevin. Hi. How are you today? We're doing well. Are you San there? Francisco, of course, we're great. <laughs> you want it ready, ready for the lightning round? Yes, yeah, sure. All right, let's go here. First home you bought, where was it? It was on Noe Street between 14th and Beaver in the best part of Triangle. It was two beds, one bath, approximately... Less than 2,000 square feet, probably. Oh, less than 2,000 square feet. <laughs> 1,200? Uh, I don't know. Don't think about that. Okay. How'd you find your realtor? Uh, he, he, you, uh, were, <laughs> were working at Apple with my husband at the time and we were all friends and that's how we connected with you. And we still are. Yeah. So, and uh, I'll answer the next question for you. Did you use the same realtor when you sold the house? You sure did. You, and you again worked with at the next house and again at the next you house. You are awesome to work with every time. <laughs> and it is amazing to see what you do uh, with the homes that you have lived oh. in over the years. You have an incredible artistic vision. You are phenomenal at what you do as an interior designer. And I'm so psyched that you're here talking with our listeners today. Uh, but before we get to Thank you. Sawyer's design, let's talk about you in San Francisco. Okay. So aesthetically speaking, what's your favorite building in San Francisco or do you have oh. one? Oh, gosh, this is going to be a really hard... Well. I'm a fan of the Salesforce building, so okay. let's just go ahead and get that out there and so people can <laughs> rail on me or we'll do whatever they want. There's the distinct, you know, two camps in this town right now. Yeah. Either you love it or you hate it. Yeah. However, every new building we get in San Francisco, everyone hates it. Yeah. Like, at least there's always a good chunk of haters. I mean, yeah. when we got the new DeYoung and Golden Gate, everyone hated that for a while. And now they're yeah. like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, back to you. Salesforce Tower. You like it? Yeah. There's just, there's a building down on Market Street. It's all black. And if you you look at the top of it it is the hottest mess that you i mean it's just such a hot mess and then you look past that to the salesforce building and i wonder how people look past that have no comments about it and then they look at this iconic building the salesforce and have so much to say about it so all black on market market and what uh like market intense nema yeah <laughs> darth vader's darth vader's yeah. rentals i like um, it from the ground but if you're looking at it from a distance it's it's horrible. So do you follow city architecture and kind of loosely? So what? do you remember a couple of years ago when the city published like citywide design guidelines for buildings and what planning thought people should be building in various neighborhoods? When I read that document, I'm just doing this all from memory. It basically came across as like, please build pretty much anything, but not NEMA. Um, oh, really? <laughs> you know, like they were talking about, you know, encouraging, you know, softer shades of stone that are more in keeping with like the San Francisco Bay, you know, like they, they have all of these interesting things, but like they were just like, no black glass. 
But anyway, yeah, I, I disagree with that. It's just like the Salesforce Tower. You need something that's so sleek and modern to be a foil against something that's so intricate and detailed. And there are all kinds of buildings in San Francisco. There will be more in San Francisco later that, you know, make us forget all about Salesforce. But I don't know. There needs to be a little bit of here and a little bit of there. It just would be nice if things were done I don't know, maybe you, if you build a little bit less building, but do it better, what you do do. <laughs> the, this, one of the paradoxes of San Francisco to me and our buildings has always been for a town that really celebrates individual diversity mm-hmm. and being unique and as different as you want to be, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to carry over into architecture here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, we're doing a home remodel and one of the things that was dictated is that we had to keep a gable roof because we're number four in five houses that have gable roofs. So no matter what we wanted to do, even this this house, the front of the house was built in the 1980s, which wasn't that long ago. They made us maintain the gable. Because when it was, um, if I recall correctly, when that expansion was done, like late 70s, early 80s, they were adding a gable to something that was not right. gabled, they were, right? It was kind of no like an Italian Victorian on the back, very yeah. square that they pushed way, way forward. Yeah. So I'm curious if like, you know, that was the architect's choice or if he was forced to do it by planning who said like, if you want to go forward, give us a gable. <laughs> well, I would, I would imagine it was the architect's choice because the architect was the owner. And well, yeah. I mean, I'm just curious, like if planning way back then gave him any, I have no idea. But it was also such a different neighborhood, you know, back then. I mean, back when you lived on Noe Street, one of the things I love about that section of Noe Street that you lived on were the big wooden planters that were installed and all the trees and the ball bats and the sidewalks. And that work was actually done in the 70s by the city to to deal with urban blight. Right. You know, and thinking about that block of Noe and DeVos Triangle being urban blight just kind of rocks the mind. Anyway. We've gone off on a tangent. And if- <laughs> Aesthetically speaking, let's go the opposite direction of buildings in San Francisco. Is there a particular outdoor space or place that you really love to be in San Francisco? Well, I'm sure there's tons of places in Golden Gate Park that I'm sure lots of people like to go to. But there's one place that a lot of people don't go, know about, and that's at the De Young Museum. Back in the corner of their yard, the courtyard, is the Terrell Sky Space. The Outdoor Sculptural Gallery? Yeah. <laughs> It's very cool, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm so shocked that more people don't know about it. Now, whenever somebody asks me what to do and where to go, I always direct them to go there because it's just such a piece of, I don't know, it's just such a a moment to walk in that little space and be in such a calm environment. In the middle of the city. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that... I don't know. I loved DeBose Triangle when we lived there. It was just a little slice of, a little pie slice of something different in the city. It was unique. It has changed since then. What? Every neighborhood does? Yeah. So would you say that's your favorite SF neighborhood? Mm, Probably. You know, they're all so different. You know, Glen Park is very different from any other area in the city. Coal Valley. But, you know, the point is, I think that they're all neighborhoods in themselves and they all have a distinct personality and you can drive five minutes and you're in a completely different, you know, they're all individuals. So, Or you could walk five minutes at this point and get farther than you could if you were in the car. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Or take public transportation, which I've started doing again lately. Congratulations. Go you. So it's 
often faster than yeah. having to deal with cars these days between traffic and parking. Well, we moved. I was working out of my home. We're doing the remodel I was talking about. And now we're working at a WeWork space downtown. So getting back into the flow of public transportation and kind of like feeling like we're part of the city again is pretty interesting. And then, you know, if I'm going to the design center, I actually take the bus. So it's, I, I'm really loving seeing those different parts of the city from that point of view again. You do experience so much more of the city, both good and bad for better and worse, like out when you're walking and using transit versus kind of just being in the bubble of your car. Mm-hmm. So completely agree. Um, speaking of like San Francisco and, and all of these neighborhoods and pieces, you see a lot of the city, you see it from a lot of perspectives. If you could change one thing, one real estate law, Kevin oh. Sawyer's design, magic wand, what would it be? Uh, I, I think it's a bigger picture kind of thing where the people who are making these decisions about the aesthetics of the city and what's built, where it's built, how it's built, how much public space, you know, all of those should be maybe influenced by people who have a background in those areas, as opposed to public officials. There are, you know, when you go to the San Francisco building department, there are architects, engineers, and people of that sort who are checking drawings and things like that, but they're not the ones who are dictating the rules completely. So I would say, you know, let's get a city planner who knows what city planning is. Let's get, uh, People involved who are passionate about what the city looks like and how it operates. Right. So I'm hearing, you know, that there's too much involvement from planning, from the board of supervisors, mm-hmm. and and ultimately, actually, on some of our projects at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. Right. And there does seem to be everyone in this town is entitled to a say on everyone else's project. Mm-hmm. It starts with planning and, you know, design guidelines, discretionary review. I don't, it's a laundry list. And then some, yes, is how do you navigate it? You have to be patient and you have to have money. So um, two and a half to three years later, after we started the process for planning our home remodel, two and a half to three years and about twenty to $30,000 later, we were able to actually start the remodel. And this is a straightforward single family home. Mm-hmm. And while I'm sure your neighbors had requests or asks, I don't think anyone actively opposed it, right? You never had to go to, to discretionary review or deal with an appeal or any of those other pieces for you. Yeah. Like that amount of time and amount of money is actually pretty good for a lot of projects, yeah. unfortunately. The footprint of the building is barely changed at all. We did a cantilevered piece out in the front of the building that added a deck on. The biggest issue was in the back because our house is built way back in the lot. Yeah. We had to go through the variance process first before we could go through permitting. You had to get a variance for something that already existed. Yes. (laughs) To change the roof line up to to push it up one foot. Before we get to changing the roof line. So let's say they didn't give you the variance. Like, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Like, are they going to come red tag the structure as it exists? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. We would have like, it it was built. (laughs) Yeah, but we would have had to have stayed inside the envelope of that house for the change. No roof line change, no wall could move at a certain point in the lot. Wow. From their back, you couldn't change anything on the exterior except the cladding of the building. Wow. Yeah, we basically went up and created a little more mass on top of the building so that we could have living space up there, right. not just like lofty spaces. So what we ended up doing was we took a chunk from part of the building back there 
off so that we could add it to the top. So we traded mass for mass. Right. And that's how we got it through. <laughs> Three years later. Yeah. <laughs> so let's pivot now kind of from San Francisco to what you're incredibly good at, which is interior design. You own your own design firm, Sawyer's Design. How did it come to be? Well, I studied interior architecture and design in college, but then I wanted to expand a little bit my experiences. So I went into, an exper- it's called experiential graphics now. It was called environmental graphics. So it's graphics for the built environment. Uh, so a lot of architecture firms have a experiential graphics portion studio. And uh, so I went into that as an internship and did it for 10 years and then decided to go back to interior architecture, interior design. And then I've been doing that on my own for 10 years now. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a lifetime Yeah. in this city. Yeah. Do you remember what your first project was? Uh, yeah, it was actually a pretty big one. It was an entire house, a two bedroom, one bath. We remodeled the bathroom, the kitchen. It was in Midtown Terrace. Like, yeah, 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 the like, home that you sold yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah, the yeah. client. Yeah. Yeah, I was really lucky. There were um, structural changes and complete gut. It was like uh, a dream to get that as a first project. And, you know, thank you, the person who hired me (laughs) for trusting me to do that. You did. It it came out amazing. It's so fun to see homes in that neighborhood. It's still in my portfolio and I love it. Yeah. So since that first project has the world of interior design or what clients expect or has the nature of the job changed a lot or is it very much the same or? Well, living here, I have a lot of tech clients and I think I've learned how to navigate that world a little bit better. I think that a lot of times those clients really want, sometimes they want the full details of how everything works and how everything uh, comes to be. And it's a different mindset from the mind of an interior designer. So they're also, they're intrigued by my process. So it's kind of like um, an interesting teaching process right brain hits left brain yeah sometimes but then you then i've also discovered how many people basically function in both those sides and they don't even realize it sometimes engineering is creative i think so it's an art in itself it is it's just not um a social art right it's a very you know you're you're in there yeah in your own in your own world in some ways so kind of along that line i don't know if this is uh related or not but What's kind of the most unexpected or strangest part of your job? (laughs) I know you've heard this before, though, but the whole part about being a a marriage counselor, it is interesting. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) It's less, uh, I mean, the the really weird ones are the ones that, you know, couples that uh, argue for sport. (laughs) And you're in the middle of it. Well, Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, one of the interesting client types I, I did never expected to work with over the years or knew existed was like, it's not a deal until there's yelling, right? right. Like I, there's for some folks until like there's tears and screaming, it's, they're just not sure if it's worth it. Right. Yeah. And, but I mean, stemming from that, I do love the psychology of interior design and so uh, like psychology of interior design. Yeah. What does that even mean? <laughs> Bring it down for me. I think the biggest thing for me is being able to kind of hone in on a person's personality, figure out who they are, and then how to relate that in their interiors. 
I mean, not every interior designer does that, but I, it is one of my selling points is that I want to convey you and what you want and what how you want to live in your space. That's why all of my jobs actually have a very different look to them. Each one from the next is conveying a different personality altogether. So when you're meeting with someone and you sit down and you're like, what would you like? And they kind of say like, I want it. I want a, I want option a, mm-hmm. and you're looking at them and you've got this sense of them and you're like, you know, that's cool. But really you're an option C person and you right. would be happier in an option C environment. Like what's the the process of getting someone to, to see that possibility or is there not? And you just go with a, well, <laughs> most of the time people don't have that option. People don't have an idea of what they want. Okay. I always say the client that I want, the person I want to work with is the person who's poised for change. And I think that's what people bring. Usually when they're looking for an interior designer, they're ready to make some a change in their life or mix things up, or they just want to live a different way. And they may not know what that means visually. So they're looking for me to bring that to them. And it's, it's all about, you know, conversation, listening to what they have to say, understanding how they entertain or just live on the daily you know if you don't have dinner parties all the time do you even need a dining room <laughs> that kind of thing well it's fun it's like i have probably a third of the clients i will show homes to are like formal dining rooms are a waste yeah you know just straight up like they can't it's not their life it never will be they have no interest but for other people it's kind of like if there's no formal dining room it's not a house <laughs> right and some people need that visual it's it's a it makes it a home. It, it, even if it, they don't have those dinner parties, it's there. The option, the idea, the fantasy of it is there. And they can walk by it every day and have that in their head. Right. Uh, I remember once going to a friend's house and the uh, living room, you weren't allowed to go in. Right. It was <laughs> yeah. it was like the show living room yeah. that was used for like pictures and formal occasions like once a year. Yeah. And it just like boggled my mind. Right. Because, you know, I ran like a screaming banshee through every room in my house as a child. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just I don't think that exists anymore. That really is like a really old idea. And if, especially in a city like San Francisco, where space is, a, you know, there's no additional space anywhere. We want to utilize every room in our house and to its fullest potential. So, um, at least most people. <laughs> I guess that's like how you show off you're really insanely wealthy is you've got rooms you don't even let people in, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's something to be said for that. I, I like designing for that as well. But anyway, back to... It's just a different experience. You know, it comes yeah. back to being at, at peace in your space and how you use it and what you do with it. And yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, let me ask you an unfair question. When designing for space... What makes a bigger difference, texture or color? Oh, mm. I told you it was unfair. Texture or color. Well, I'm a huge color fan. So, you know, you could really influence a room with color. I like darker, richer, deeper colors. So you feel kind of enveloped in it. You can make a wall feel like it's five feet closer to you or five feet further away from you by the color you choose. So I think that's a bigger difference. I will say you are a man of bold color choices. Uh, <laughs> I am like the, the person who's not allowed to have the crayon box because I don't know what to do with that many colors. They scare me. Uh, and you have a beautiful sense of color. When some of the homes you've staged that we've sold over the years, you've used far darker colors than we normally use. And mm-hmm. it always 
just comes off amazing. So not that you're in the staging business, but you've done it a couple times and worked with some people and picked colors and always, always amazing. Yeah. Well, just like with interior design trends, there's definitely trends in staging. And I usually just listen to the professionals when it comes to that. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a, it's a fun thing to play around with and it's one of my favorite things. But interestingly, in my own home, it's probably going to be mostly white. And I think that's because... <laughs> this time. Right. <laughs> and um, it's just a place for me to get away from all of that. I mean, the, it's a lot of glass that's go around too, yeah. right? A lot of white, a lot of glass. Mm -hmm. So There will be splashes of color. Yeah. But it's not going to be cold. No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. So... When someone's thinking about hiring an interior designer, Ooh. right? Like in my business, they go down to the bookstore, they buy a book, like real estate for whoever, read some chapters, get the advice, or heck, I don't know if maybe they don't even buy the book anymore, they just go online. Mm -hmm. um, when folks are, you know, I don't know if you've got the same kind of experience in your industry, but like, what are, do you think are some important questions people should think about before, you know, sitting down with an interior designer they want to interview or some questions they might want to ask that, you know, you would say are going to help them get more out of the process? I would definitely ask them how they manage time and money. You want to move back in your project, into your home when it's at the finish line and you want to have paid the right amount of money, the, the budget that you have, you want to make sure that it isn't exceeded by much. When you say, how do you manage time and money, right? That's a pretty open-ended question mm -hmm. that like as a professional could be answered in a lot of ways. Like, what are you looking for? Like, what's the red flag there? Or what's the, the concern or kind of where have you seen problems over like that mismatch? Um, well, not in my business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about your business, of course. In, no. Theoretically speaking. Uh, it's just design can take a, I, I used to call it spinning. So you get, to, there's a creative process in design, and, but you need a, de I need a deadline. Right. And sometimes we don't set those deadlines. And so things can just spin and spin and spin. You can design for a, an eternity before you finish something. But if I set myself a deadline, I will spin and spin to that point. And then when the deadline's there, I'll have a solution. Uh, and the deadline being either time or money, right? You know, uh, yeah. I mean, money is a constraint, just like time. And if, if, yeah. if you've got, you know, X dollars to, to solve a project, you need to know it up front yeah. versus thinking you've got two X dollars yeah. or any of those pieces. Maybe even a bigger suggestion is when you do hire your designer, architect, whoever it is, give them your budget. Tell them how much you want to spend. Don't hem and haw about it. Know how much you want to spend going in because I can design to that amount. So I guess here's the question there. I mean, everybody wants to spend the least amount of money possible without seeming cheap. Right. So how do you even go about discussing a budget where you like, you know, you just like, I want to be realistic, but I'm afraid that if I say X number, I'm going to get taken to the cleaners. And if I say, you know, half that number, you're going to laugh at me and say like, ha ha ha, that's, that's ridiculous. How, right. you know. Well, you can spend what you can spend. Right. That's what I'm saying. Just be honest about it. Don't tell me that you're going to, that you, you know, don't withhold $20,000 because I know that that extra $20,000 is there for a sponge and you're holding it back. 
I know that we need that sponge in the end. I know that we need to build in 10, 15, 20% more than we expect. So let me design toward that and knowing that that extra is there, not perceiving that I have to hold back some more money uh, from your budget because of the unknowns. Because then it becomes this cat and mouse game, right? Yeah. Right. But, you know, I can design to any budget. And we know going in, like if you tell me you have set amount, we're not going to go to... Roche Boubois or something that's super expensive, and we're going to go somewhere that's a little less lower on the totem pole, right. and, or you know we don't want to do custom, right? Or maybe we do. If you have got enough money to do custom throughout, let's go for it. What's the smallest project you've ever done? Um, if I do a consultation, someone's working with a contractor, and they want me to just help them pick some tile, or they want to uh, me to just do color palette. Or paint throughout that kind of thing. I love those too. Like I'll do an entire house, gut remodel, structural changes throughout, windows changing to just a paint consultation. It's all designed, so I like no it. No job too small. No. No job too large. No. <laughs> well, maybe too large. There are limits. So um, this has been awesome. I have enjoyed learning so much about what you do and kind of how you approach it. Final thoughts, things you want to say, open mic. It's all you, Sawyer's Design. Oh my goodness, what what does one say? I I think that design is something that can, like, you know, no project too small, no project too large. I feel like people, uh, you know, just look around you, take note of the space that you live in and see if there's some way that you could change your life for the better through minimal interior changes. Just take note and do something for yourself. It's a treat it's just like working out. It's just like eating well. You know, if the, the space that you live in should reflect who you are and invoke your personality. So I just challenge everybody to, to make that um, a little more obvious. So when people are ready to hire you, mm-hmm. where do they find you? Sawyersdesign.com. Yeah, Spell it. Best place. S-A-W-Y-E-R-S. Like Tom Sawyer, but with an S on the end. Sawyersdesign.com. Dot com. Awesome. And you've got your portfolio up there. It's some amazing work yeah, as well. With a new website. So, yes, it's beautiful. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Kevin Sawyers. Sawyers Interior Design. Thanks, Matt. Or Sawyers Design. <laughs> Usker Out Loud is a weekly podcast about San Francisco real estate from the Jackson Fuller team, San Francisco Realtors since 2002. Show notes with links are at jacksonfuller.com. Oh.